Welcome to the Italian American Podcast. The first podcast dedicated to helping Italian Americans learn about and celebrate their brilliant heritage. We're your hosts, Anthony Fasano and Dolores Alfieri Taranto. We're first generation and third generation Italian Americans from the same small village outside of New York City. As writers and speakers, we've both spent years exploring Italian American identity. And through this podcast, we continue this exploration with you. In each episode, we talk to dynamic Italian Americans, from athletes to authors to entrepreneurs, to find out how their heritage has influenced their success, their values, and their outlook on life. We do it with a lot of heart, a lot of smarts, and a lot of laughs. <laughs> As the saying goes, there are two types of people those who are Italian, and those who wish they were Italian. Whatever camp you're in, grab an espresso and get your hand gestures ready <laughs> for this episode of the Italian American Podcast. All right, this is episode 71 of the Italian American Podcast, and our guest for today is going to be Mark Sullivan, author of 18 novels, including Beneath a Scarlet Sky. And we're going to talk to him about what made him decide to write this book, which of course, focuses on a story that takes place in Italy during the time of World War II. We get into the whole book. I mean, this is a very, very popular book. You've probably heard of it. I'll tell you a little bit more about the book in a second and what it's been able to do on Amazon. But we'll talk to Mark in detail about what made him write the book and his process and everything that went along with it. I think you're really going to love it. And then in the story segment at the end of the show, you'll hear from Jonathan Friedman about another Italian hero, Gino Bartoli. He was a famous cyclist, just as in Beneath the Scarlet Sky. It also focuses on Jews, rescuing Jews during World War II in Italy. And that's really the very clear theme in this episode. Both Mark Sullivan, our main guest, and Jonathan Friedman have both done something to either highlight or show the story of the Italians that were able to save many Jews during World War II. So I think it'll be a very inspirational episode. Before we dive into it, I want to welcome new listeners. This is episode 71, so there are plenty of other episodes on the website that you can find and you can listen to, and they're on iTunes as well if you look up the Italian American Podcast. If you go to iTunes too, it's best to subscribe to the podcast. Just click the subscribe button. That will make sure that you get the new episodes on your phone through your iTunes app um, or if you use an Android, you'll get it through your podcast app as we publish them. I also want to mention our community online called The New Neighborhood, A Place for Italian Americans. The idea behind this group is that we had so many listeners emailing us individually and telling Dolores and I how much the podcast has inspired them and they let their kids listen to it and it's so great. But what we wanted to do is bring all these listeners together. We're getting all these emails from different listeners. We wanted to bring them together. So we created this community, which you can check out at italianneighborhood.com. Again, that's italianneighborhood.com. And there is a small membership fee for the community, but that small fee goes a very long way in helping us to produce this podcast, which is why we charge for the new neighborhood community. And also, quite frankly, there are a lot of groups on Facebook, because this is a private Facebook group, that have become very watered down with thousands and thousands of people posting all kinds of stuff that's just really honestly is 
waste time. But this is a very tight knit, small community where people are posting stories about their families, traditions, recipes that they're trying, all kinds of things that we get in the community. They go to a new restaurant, they let people know about it. It's really authentic. And so it's really, really been a great group. We've made a lot of friends. And again, you can check it out at italianneighborhood.com. I hope that you'll consider joining us. All right, now I'd like to tell you a little bit more about the first guest for today's episode before we jump into the interview. Mark Sullivan is the acclaimed author of 18 novels, including the Wall Street Journal and USA Today bestselling and Amazon number one most sold and most read novel, Beneath a Scarlet Sky, and the number one New York Times bestselling private series, which he writes with James Patterson. Mark has received numerous awards for his writing and his work and has been named a New York Times notable book and a Los Angeles Times book of the year. An avid skier and adventurer, he lives with his wife in Bozeman, Montana, where he remains grateful for the miracle of every moment. And I'm going to read a quote from the book, Beneath the Scarlet Sky, to bring us into the interview here. But one thing I just want to note is neither of the two guests in this episode are Italian-American, which is pretty rare. I would say that 90% of the guests have been Italian-American. However, the stories you're going to hear in this episode highlight what our Italian ancestors did. It tells you about our Italian ancestors and how compassionate they were to these Jews who were in danger during World War II and how they helped them and how they really put their lives on the line. And And these two men in this episode that you'll hear, they want to celebrate that and they really wanted to share that story. So here is the excerpt I'm going to read from Mark Sullivan's book, Beneath the Scarlet Sky, and then we'll go right into the interview. You know, my young friend, I will be 90 years old next year, and life is still a constant surprise to me. We never know what will happen next, what we will see, and what important person will come into our life, or what important person we will lose. Life is a change, constant change, and unless we are lucky enough to find comedy in it, change is nearly always a drama, if not a tragedy. But after everything, and even when the skies turn scarlet and threatening, I still believe that if we are lucky enough to be alive, we must give thanks for the miracle of every moment of every day, no matter how flawed. All right, now I'm excited to welcome on today's guest, the Italian-American podcast, Mark Sullivan. Mark is the acclaimed author of 18 novels, including the Wall Street Journal and USA Today bestselling and Amazon number one most sold and most read novel, Beneath a Scarlet Sky. Mark, welcome to the Italian-American podcast. Well, I'm thrilled to be here. Thank you for having me. So, Mark, first things first, the book Beneath a Scarlet Sky is... Absolutely dynamite. It's just a wonderful book. I read it recently and we'll get into the depth and and everything that went into it and and your writing process. But for those listeners that aren't familiar with the book, just to set the scene a little bit, Mark, could you just give an overview? Sure. It's the true untold story of a 17-year-old boy who guides Jews escaping Nazi-occupied Italy over the winter Alps in 43-44 and then through a series of remarkable circumstances in the spring of 44, he becomes a spy inside the German high command and falls in love with an older woman who haunts him the rest of his life. <laughs> there you go. And the thing about it, if you're reading the book, is 
it's a book that's just kind of very easy to get right into the book, especially, of course, our listeners are mostly Italian-American. Most of their roots hail from Italy. So you can really resonate with this character, Pino, and go along for the ride, so to speak, with him. Right. Mark, obviously the book has had tremendous success. What made you want to write about this story? Well, I heard this story on the worst day of my life. This was in February of 2006, and my younger brother and best friend had drunk himself to death, had a book come out that I loved that absolutely got tanked in the United States. And I was involved in this long, lingering business dispute that took my family to the point of personal bankruptcy. And I was driving to a Costco of all places on a snowy Saturday afternoon, and I realized I was worth more dead than alive. And I considered driving into a bridge abutment so my wife and kids could collect the insurance on my life. I didn't do it, but I was as rattled as I've ever been in my entire life. And I pulled into that Costco parking lot and put my head on the steering wheel and begged God in the universe for a story. Something I could get lost to, something that had purpose, something that had meaning. I went home afterwards and my wife had the stomach flu. She told me I had to go to a dinner party that night. I said, I'm not going to anything. And she said, no, you have to. We've canceled on three times. Go for an hour and then you can leave. (laughs) Roughly three hours after I begged the world for a story, I'm at this dinner party and a perfect stranger starts telling me about Pinoella. And my initial reaction was, this can't be true. We would have heard this story before. The guy who told me the story said, no, I, you know, I only know a little bit, but I think he's alive. I said, he's alive. Hmm. And he said, yeah. And so that night I went home, you know, I was pretty excited because if it was real, it was the most amazing untold story that I'd ever heard. My wife said, what happened to you? And I said, I just think I heard the best story I've ever heard. <laughs> if it's true, I'm going to take the last of our money and go to Italy to chase a 60-year-old war story. And my wife, being my wife, she said, well, of course you are. And <laughs> I did. <laughs> and you found him, obviously. I found him. I was lucky. He speaks great English. I have lived in the States for quite a while and grew up speaking English with a British nanny. He didn't understand why I would want to write about him, but I said he was a hero. And he said, well, no, I'm more of a coward. And that only piqued my interest even more. About five weeks later, I got on a plane and flew to Milan and spent three weeks with him going all over northern Italy to where the story took place. Wow. Oh, he was living in Italy at the time, but he had lived in the States previously. Yeah, in the the 50s and 60s, he lived in the States, and he's been in and out. He still has children who live in California, so he comes over quite a bit. Wow. And what was his initial reaction when you found him and uh, obviously you said he wasn't he didn't think he was really a hero but when you told him you really wanted to tell the story did he eventually kind of come around and see the value in it he did he said for 60 years i've kept the story quiet and i guess some people should know what happened to me and to italy i realized very quickly that i had an unusual situation in that There hadn't been a lot written specifically about Italy during the war, at least to my mind, compared to France and Britain and the Russian front and these places. I didn't know a lot about Italy. And then I realized there wasn't a lot out there about what happened. I had a unique opportunity to not only tell the story of Pinoloa, 
but through his eyes to tell the story of what happened to Nazi-occupied Italy. That's a good point, actually. I've read several books about the war in France and, you know, what was going on with England and the fighter pilots and mm-hmm. nothing really from Italy, which, of course, for our listeners is, is really important because a lot of our relatives kind of live through that. In fact, my great-great-grandmother was killed in the Battle of Salerno 1943. So it's interesting from that perspective, for sure. So now, Mark, you obviously meet this guy. He's warming up to the idea of it, and you have to now embark on this journey to dive into this story so you could bring it to life. How did you gear up for that? Were you thinking like this is going to be a bit of a long haul here for me to dig into this? I don't speak Italian. I don't speak German. I knew I was in for a long haul. I knew I was going to be faced with a lot of hurdles. There wasn't a minute that I was with him in that first three weeks that I didn't think I was telling a great story. But I didn't think it was a story that was worthy of my prayers because it was. It was amazing. The more I dug into it, the more I was convinced that it was one of the best stories I'd ever heard. By the time I left Italy that first time, I was pretty much a changed person. I vowed to tell the story to as many people as possible. I didn't think it was going to take me 10 years, but it did. And I just kept at it. It was my passion project. I wrote six or seven other books during that time frame. Every time I had a free chance, I would either go back to Italy or go to Germany or go to the U.S. archives And I just kept plugging at it. My initial purpose was to write it as a straight nonfiction story. Too many people had died, I figured out, by about five years into the process. And so many of the documents relating to the story had been burned in the last 10 or 12 days of the war. So I was at a real disadvantage. And finally, around five years into it, I had this conversation with a woman who was an agent, but not my agent, at a cocktail party in New York. And she said, well, you know, Mark, this story didn't come to a journalist. That's what you used to do. This story came to a novelist. I think you should write it as a novel and bring the story to life in a way that only fiction and novel writing can do. And I wrestled with that. And then I finally just agreed. I said, people need to know this story. Once I set out with the purpose of making people experience the same emotional journey that I went on hearing it for the first time, once I got there, the story really started to flow. So would you say this is historical fiction? It is historical fiction. You know, I know the way it works. And as soon as you change a fact or put in a fact that you know is not corroborated, it's fiction. This is heavily based on Pinoella's story. Right. The stuff that's in there that's unsure of is based on highly informed suspicions, based on all my research. But I stand by it as the story of Italy and Pino. I'm a huge fan of historical fiction because, like you said, to be able to try to capture every single fact with these stories is very difficult to do. There's always going to be gaps of some sort. Sure. If you have a writer, a skilled writer that can fill those gaps and really bring the story to life, I personally think it's great because when you're done reading the book, you've learned a lot historically. I learned a lot reading right. this book historically. Again, like you said about the war in Italy and what it was like and what these people went through. But at the same time, you have these storylines in there that make it, you know, you don't want to stop reading it, essentially. It's a great combination. So, Mark, one of the things I heard is that you went up into the Alps and you did some hiking and skiing to really understand some of the escape routes that Pino took. Is that accurate? That's accurate. Pino and I went up to Casaltina, uh, stayed in Medesimo, which are both in the story. It's now a big ski area called Valcia Mena. When he 
was doing his exploits, it was not. Uh, it was more of a climbing area where you climbed an alpine skied. It was interesting because Pino was constantly minimizing his role. For example, when we got up there, he said, well, you know, any competent alpinist could have done this. And I got up there in the snow and the rock, and I'm a pretty competent alpinist. And I was stunned that he led people in street clothes and street shoes up these mountains and over into Switzerland in the winter. You know, it's just mind-boggling. Yeah, really is. In Mark's writing in Beneath the Scarlet Sky with these hikes, and of course, referring to Pino Leila, you know, leading some of the Jews to safety on these hikes through the mountains um, in northern Italy, Switzerland. Mark really details it. So you can, with the ice and what they're wearing, and I can only imagine what it would have been like for this kid to do it. I mean, he did it over and over. And, and again, I'm not giving the story away here. This happens throughout the book. Again, I think that's part of the great thing about novels, Mark, is you can really kind of feel like you were there. You took the time, 10 years, you went there, you hiked, so you really put everything into it in terms of trying to bring this thing to life, which was great. And I also understand that you talked with surviving witnesses and, and Catholic priests and Holocaust historians as well, right? Yeah, historians, witnesses from other parts of the escape route. There was a broad organization called Oscar that was formed by Father Barbareski, who's in the book. Jews went out of Italy through multiple routes, including Casalpina. We're still looking for a survivor of that route, but I think it's going to happen. We've come real close twice, and there's no doubt that what Father Ray was doing and Pino was doing and all the other boys, because I was able to talk and interview Barbareski, who is still alive, he's still alive now at 95, it really gave me a full circle understanding of how it worked and how they got the forged documents to Jews who immediately started using those names and languages and names. And it was fascinating, it, utterly fascinating how these people who had nothing to gain personally did all this stuff. Yeah. It's extraordinary. It is extraordinary. And what I kept thinking about, Mark, because I have three young kids, what I kept thinking about is me and my wife with our kids, with a teenager leading us through the Alps on a life or death mission, because number one, you could get killed easily on the hike, but if you didn't make it, what would happen is you'd most likely get caught, and then who knows what's going to happen at that point. It's a high probability right. you're going to be killed as well. So that's, I think, part of what the research really shows, because like I said, you can kind of feel, kind of get a feel for it yourself on, on what it would have been like, which, I mean, you could never really imagine, it, obviously, something like that, but as close as you can get, right? I think you kind of got there. So I know, Mark, that you were a journalist by trade before you found success as a novelist. That must be helpful for you in, in how you do your research for something like this. It is. You know, I've had a, almost 10 years of experience as an investigative reporter before I turned the novels. And it gives me the ability to, or the skill set, to interview people at length and in depth and to think about the story from that point of view is what can I prove? What can't I prove? And how am I going to make sure that a 60-year-old memories jive with history. And I think being a journalist helped me control that. And I know myself from being an author that when you get your book for the first time, it's always a great feeling. I would imagine for you with this book, Mark, after 10 years, when it, when it showed up on your doorstep, it must have been a pretty cool feeling. 
Oh, I was flabbergasted. I, you know, there were tears in my eyes. Yeah. I was just blown away because I had done it. And I think I had done Pino, what he had done. I thought I did it honorably. Since it's come out, obviously the book has been wildly successful. I mean, the success on Amazon, obviously being most sold is really super impressive. How did that happen? Do you think it's a culmination of the story, people falling in love with the story and kind of word spreading? Um, you could do a lot of marketing and not be number one on Amazon, most sold. No, the story was what it did it. I was thrilled that people reacted and have reacted the same way that I reacted hearing it for the first time. Because that was my goal, was to take people on the same emotional journey that I went through and that Pino went through. Once I had heard it, and I decided that I wanted the reader to sit on the shoulder of Pino Lella, as it were, and give them that experience and to have so many people react and share the book with others has been extraordinary because we got very few reviews because it was an Amazon published original and it didn't matter. People embraced it and they began to tell their friends it just snowballed and ran and now we're up to 36 languages. Over 20,000 reviews. I mean, that's the thing that when I went to the book on Amazon, if you're not an author, you maybe you don't understand the quantity of the reviews. Over 20,000 reviews on Amazon for anything is out of this world. Some of the best books ever written, they might have 1,400, 1,500 reviews. And you're like, wow, this is a pretty book. 20,000. That's another stratosphere. It's just incredible. And the fact that it's holding at five stars with 20,000 plus reviews, it blows me away and it blows Pino away. I mean, he can't believe it. He's still stunned by the whole reaction to what he'd done. But I'm incredibly grateful. The story just keeps on giving and I couldn't be happier. What are the plans going forward? Is it going to be something that comes to life on TV or movie or is that something you're thinking about? Or The original thought was uh, movie. I was lucky that a woman named Amy Pascal, who's arguably the most powerful woman in Hollywood, read the book and loved it and optioned it. And then Tom Holland, who played Spider-Man in the latest Spider-Man movies, and a great actor, has agreed to play Pino. Oh, wow. Originally, we were thinking movie, but Tom came to agree with my oldest son who went to film school and who's always said that it's not a movie. It's like a 10 part miniseries. So you can tell the whole story. Tom came to that conclusion too. So that's where we're heading. Wow. That's great. So it'll be like a 10 part series on somewhere you can get it through TV or something like that. Yeah. Netflix or, you know, HBO, we don't know who who will be sponsoring it, but I have no doubt it's going to happen. That's great. So, in your career, Mark, these are the obviously the kinds of books I think as a writer you want to write. I mean, what point was this where you said this was like my book that I was I was meant to write? Oh, I figured that out early on. I was I was just enchanted, enthralled by it. I had never heard a story like it. I had never dealt with the dimensions of a story that was like this. And so it called on to me to be my best and to do whatever it took to get it right and get readers to be sucked into his world and not want to leave. I think I've done it. That makes me feel really happy. When you approached, I guess it was your agent approaching, but when you approached a publisher about this book, was the interest just as great as your interest in it? 
No. I wrote down before we went out with it that what I wanted was an editor who was as passionate about the story as I was and a publisher who could put the book in as many hands as possible. We got rejected by nine New York publishers. And again, my oldest son kept saying, Dad, I think you need to go to Amazon. It suits your goals of telling it to as many people as possible. So we went there and the book found its way into the hands of Danielle Marshall, my editor, who used to be a buyer at Powell's Books in Portland, Oregon, a very prestigious and well-known bookstore. And she fell head over heels in love with the book and became its champion inside Amazon. Without her and without Amazon's support, this would not have happened. But they did support it, and she did love it. It's become this incredible collection of people who believe passionately in the story, in Amazon, in Hollywood, overseas with Tom. It's very gratifying because they're picking up the mantle now and carrying it. I'm along for the ride now. What's next for you? Are you going to continue to keep writing and kind of work on this? Like you said, go along for the ride and, you know, help out with this as needed, but keep focusing on other books. Sure. I'm, you know, I'm an author. This is what I, and uh, I'm already well into research on another true untold story of World War II. It doesn't take place in Italy, unfortunately, because I love Italy and love going there. But I just got back from Ukraine and Romania where I've been tracking this story. Wow. People said I would never find a story as amazing as Pino Lella's and I'd probably agree with them in terms of, as I said, the dimensions of the story and the love story and the depth. But I'm coming really close with the one I'm working on. I've never heard a story like it. And when I heard it the first time, I realized that I was deeply moved. And I said, okay, that's it. If the story moves, inspires, and transforms me, I'm in. And within about 15 minutes of hearing the nuts and bolts of the story I'm working on, I was in. Wow. So I'm happy. I'm excited. Is this going to be another long writing experience or does the last one help you to do this one? The last one helped me and I'm in a different position to work now. So the book is due in February of 2020. So I've got about 17 months to finish. I'm largely done with the research and now it's a matter of putting my head down and writing. And it should be on bookshelves in May of 2021. Was it similar in that you had to find someone there, like a Pino type of person or people and connect with them and and learn from them? Yes, I was blessed that one of the survivors of the story I'm telling is still alive. He lives in Bozeman and his brother lives in western Montana. I was blessed enough to go to Ukraine with them to start tracking the story. They basically were forced to flee Stalin's Red Army in early 1944, and they end up walking as refugees through the last year of the war. And I realized that just as very few people had tried to tell the story of Italy in the war, no one was telling the story of the refugees. And so that's what I'm up to. I'm telling the story of people displaced by war, which is a different angle on it. No less compelling in my opinion. That's really interesting. Well, Mark, listen, I know you're very busy. We appreciate you taking some time to speak with us about the book and about kind of your journey with, with Pino. It's a, such an inspiring story and you really, really brought it to life. And I can say if you're listening, 
you got to check out the book Beneath the Scarlet Sky. Just go online. It's impossible not to find it at this point because of all the reviews. Go right on Amazon. You can pick it up. But I'm also very much looking forward to seeing it when it makes it into TV or the series because, you know, I think that's what happens when you get a good book like this. You want to always keep learning more about it, keep hearing more about it and, and following it. And I even went online, I started reading about Pino, looking for pictures of him again, because this is what happens when you get engaged in a story. Thank you, Mark, for making it such an, just bringing it to life the way you did. Well, you bet. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. All right. Once again, this is Mark Sullivan, acclaimed author of 18 novels, including the Wall Street Journal and USA Today, best-selling and Amazon number one, most sold and most read novel, Beneath the Scarlet Sky. We will link to it in the show notes. You can get it on Amazon and please enjoy it. And Mark, again, thank you so much for spending some time with us. Thank you. Cheers. It is now time for the Italian-American story segment of the episode. This is the part of the show where we try to bring you back to your family gatherings, conversations, and we try to play a recording or a story from one of our listeners or our own relatives, or even read something that a listener submitted. You're about to hear from Jonathan Friedman in this story segment. Jonathan is not Italian-American. He is Jewish, and his relatives are Holocaust survivors, which inspired him so much when he heard about Gino Bartoli, who was a famous Italian cyclist who put his life on the line again to help save the Jews during World War II. It's a wonderful story for someone like Jonathan to get inspired and do everything he's done to start this mission, which you're going to hear about. It's just really a great story, and I'm excited to share with you. Here it is. All right, now it's my pleasure to welcome Jonathan Friedman onto the Italian American podcast. Jonathan, welcome. Hi, how are you? Jonathan was introduced to me by a friend and he told me the story that you're about to hear and it very much lined up with the story you just heard from Mark Sullivan around Pino Leila. And so I wanted to have Jonathan to come on just to tell this inspiring story. So guess we can dive right in here. Why don't you tell our listeners the story about what happened to you when you went to get your haircut that day? Everything in life had some sort of thread. And this barber I've been going to for over 20 years, an Italian barber, um, and he has a lot of really high-end clientele, Wall Street clientele. And he's from the old country. One day, I happened to be there getting my haircut, and he introduced me to um, Joe Perella, who's who has just finished making a documentary uh, called My Italian Secret, which told the story of Gino Bartoli, the uh, champion Italian cyclist, as well as other Italian individuals that saved Jews in the Holocaust in various ways. He's a Wall Street executive, but he uh, believed passionately in this project and just happened to be there at the same time as me. So that's how I learned the story. It really struck a chord because my grandparents are Holocaust survivors, not from Italy, but I'd always seen the Holocaust as, you know, having this really dark, dark story. And of course it is, but I hadn't really paid that much attention to the stories of heroism. In fact, one of my grandmothers was saved through the actions of Raul Wallenberg, the Swedish diplomat who handed out the diplomatic passport. So it really made me focus on the, on the heroic side. Hmm, that's interesting. And obviously, not only did it inspire you there in the moment, but it inspired you to take some action. And I'm guessing that you left there and then you ended up watching the movie. Is that what happened, the documentary? 
Yeah, so he spent a lot of time, he, uh, Joe Perella, spent a lot of time with me in the barbershop telling me about the documentary. It hadn't come out yet, but he gave me his private link on Vimeo and, and was able to watch it before it was released. And I was just sitting there with goosebumps because, you know, it had both a romantic side, you know, Italy, the cycling champion, you know, Italy in general, the Holocaust side of things is just a very interesting. You had fascism, but you also had a lot of resistance and heroism. So it just was really, really fascinating story. And I thought to myself, well, what's been done to memorialize Gina Barkley? How well is this story known? How, you know, do people even know what happened in Italy? And so I kind of got caught up in it. And I said to myself, you know, I need to do something. I had started cycling around that time and just all came together that I should memorialize Gina Barkley in a cycling ride in some way. Before we talk about that, for the listeners who have never heard of Gino before, not that we want to give away everything because I do want people to watch the documentary, but could you just tell them a little bit about him? If you want to imagine first just the backdrop of cycling as a sport during that time period, I would say from you know the early 1900s through the mid to late 50s, let's say early 60s, uh, was a period where cycling was a form of transport, especially after the war. Pretty much everybody had a bicycle in Italy and the other European countries. So cycling as a sport or cycling racing was, you know, incredibly well attended and well watched. So that's just as a sport. And then the heroes of cycling, the champions were for the American audience to think of, you know, Babe Ruth, Michael Jordan, you know, LeBron James. I mean, they were just way at the top of the attention. All eyes were on these four heroes. So. For him, Gino Bartley, to during the war years to to risk his life, now the way the story was really just used his bicycle to smuggle documents. So for him to do that for such a legendary figure was just a really really incredible story to me. That's amazing. Let's get into the biking side of this. First of all, I guess you're a biker. Is that something you've done for a while on a regular basis? Yeah, it started really around that time. It came together for me in that I was starting to cycle and prepare myself for a, a charity ride I'd been invited to. And and I got caught up in the training for that and learning about the history of the sport. Um, then, of course, the Gina Bartley story itself. So it all came together kind of at the same time. Take us down the road now. You decided that you wanted to do something to commemorate Gino around cycling. So what happened? So I really just wanted to share his story with the Jewish community in New York. Also, at the same time, show the people that I had connected with on the story, Joe Perella and my barber, and to whatever extent I was thinking that I would be able to publicize what I was doing, that there is an element of gratitude, right, that we recognize his actions and we promote the story of his heroism. And in that way, we're really saying thank you. So that was my intention was that the, there's a charity ride I was going to do called Bike for High, which is a summer camp for sick children, and they do a bike fundraiser. And I was training for it, and I said to myself, I'm going to dedicate my ride to Gina Bartley. I'm going to share her story in my community, share her story in Italy to the extent I was able to. That's what happened, and you know, it succeeded beyond my wildest imaginations because not only was I able to train and complete the ride of 180 miles over two days, but I was also able to connect to a journalist in Italy. And the story 
of what I was doing was profiled in the front page in Corriere in Italy, and and it was also written about in Gazeta, which is the sporting newspaper. So it got a lot of coverage, which it wasn't about promoting really what I was doing, but the coverage of Gina Bartoli's story and the fact that you know, the Jewish community in New York is learning about her and it's recognizing it. So I was really excited at the first go around, the first year of activity. That's awesome. That is great to hear that. So what are you focusing on now? You're continuing to carry this mission forward? Basically, that was year one, which was the charity ride in New York, uh, which I was a part of and, and promoting a story. And then Really, to take you forward to today, a very, very important thing happened in year two, which was I brought the story to Israel's first and only pro cycling team called Israel Cycling Academy, and they are a professional racing team, and they took on the challenge of continuing to promote a story. And then in, in 2016, we actually went to Italy, we did a, a ride from Florence to Assisi, which traced the route that Gino rode while smuggling documents. Wow. We uh, visited the Barclay Museum in Florence. We met his family. Assisi is an amazing city, and we finished the ride over there. Then the following year, we did it again and spent even more time in Assisi, and there's a uh, historical museum there. So each year, we did more and more to promote his legacy. Last year, there's really cycling team was in the Giro d'Italia, which started in Jerusalem. They had a, a memorial occasion to honor Barclay at Yad Vashem. I was in a CZ again, which one of the Giro stages was in honor of Gino Barclay. So, so much has happened since then that was way, way beyond who I am, who I was at that time, thanks to the work of Israel Cycling Academy. And so this year, we're planning another honorary ride, which will be even bigger. Uh, the details are not haven't really been released yet, but it's going to be more prominent with more people attending. And so it's work that continues to help spread a story. And it's based upon the same principle, you know, show gratitude, let his family know that he's remembered, let the Italian people know that he's remembered, spread the story of heroism and goodwill. Um, so that's really the same work and just on a bigger platform. Well, I think it's amazing. I think, like you said, Jonathan, I think the one thing that really is something to take out of this beyond everything else you're doing is just the fact that in whenever there's something dark or bad or, or even evil in this case that happens, there's something good that can come out of it or something that can make people feel better maybe not forget about it, but feel better about themselves or about the whole situation, which is obviously what happened for you in that barber shop. Like you said, you always had such a dark view of the Holocaust to see this positive in it or to hear about this guy that was doing this stuff in it. Number one is just, I think, a great lesson to begin with. And then number two, the fact that you decided to try to carry that story forward because of the positivity of it and because... Obviously, you felt that he should get that recognition. It's just great. And it sounds like from what you're saying here, it just keeps continuing to grow, which is awesome. It sounds like you've been on several trips that have been great trips and they've done great work, like you said, and just being grateful and spreading the word. And I think it's a good message for people that, you know, listen, bad things happen and good things can come out of them, but they don't always necessarily 
are going to spread on their own, you have to take some initiative and kind of roll up your sleeves and, and try to spread the word. So congratulations on doing all of that. Thank you. And if, if I could take a minute just to mention a couple of things, you know, it's not just all seriousness. Cycling is fun and, and your show is about Italy and, and touches upon that. I've listened to some of the episodes. So I, I would just say for people to enjoy um, Italy, you know, it's a beautiful, beautiful country. I mean, wherever I've been, it's just, I can't wait to go back again and again. And that was something that was an amazing experience for me, aside from the kind of the serious side of the work that I was doing, the sheer pleasure of cycling in Italy and, and all the small towns you visited. And of course, the coffee, <laughs> the, really? you know, the, the whole experience, the cafe experience. So, you know, if you're in Florence and you want to learn more about Gino Bartoli, you should visit the museum. And of course, Assisi, which is worthy of an episode all by itself, because yeah. a number of heroes that church clergy that sheltered Jews aside and also in connection with the work that Bartoli was doing. That's just an incredible city. Then, of course, you have the biography of Gino Bartoli called Road to Valor by Eileen McConnell, which is a, a really, really well-documented book. I highly recommend reading that. I know our listeners are going to be interested in this story and interested in visiting these places. Before I let you go, Jonathan, how can they keep up to date with what you're doing with the riding and stuff? Do you have a website or somewhere they can follow along? I'm on social media. That's the primary channel at Team Gino Barkley. Okay. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. But I would say, you know, really what I'm doing is now subservient or a smaller part. And really, I collaborate with Israel Cycling Academy. They can find that on the internet. If they are. Yep. IsraelCyclingAcademy.com and there's a ride in Italy coming up in May focused around Gino Barkley and they can find the information there. Well, listen, this is all great. I commend you for taking that action, taking the inspiration and then acting on it. It's not something that people always do. So Jonathan Friedman, thank you so much for spending some time with us here on the Italian American podcast. Sure. Thank you. And I love your podcast. Love the idea of what you're doing. Great job. So I hope you enjoyed that segment and enjoyed the episode. Like I said, it's one of the few episodes we didn't really have Italian-Americans on as guests, but we focused on a story from Italy, from our ancestors, a story of compassion and inspiration. And Beneath the Scarlet Sky is certainly a wonderful book. I highly recommend you check it out. And I'm actually going to look into this documentary as well that Jonathan mentioned about Gino Bartoli, which also looks to be very inspirational. So please remember to connect with us on the social medias. On Instagram, we're at Italian American. Twitter, we're at ITAL, I-T-A-L, American. And on Facebook, we are the Italian American Podcast. And please, we are so grateful for all of the great reviews that you've been giving us on iTunes. Please keep them coming. They really inspired Dolores and I. We'll continue to read some of them on future episodes. But again, I hope you enjoyed it. Keep in touch with us. Go to ItalianNeighborhood.com. Join our group. Let's get to know each other. And we're going to continue to keep these coming for you. Ci vediamo. Ci vediamo.